listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. I'm titling this Prophecy Philosophy, which almost rhymes, but it really doesn't. I wish it did, but you know, but it's Prophecy Philosophy. <clears throat> and a philosophy is the way you view things. It's the way, it's your filter in life. And so everybody has a, has a way that they view things. You could, take, you could take any element in life, and you have a way that you view those things. Well, when it comes to the church, the church has a way that it views prophecy. Now, it can vary from church to church, individual churches or individual people, but there are people, everybody has a way that they view prophecy. You have people that are as extreme and say that prophecy is done and there are no more modern day prophets. And for anybody that would say that, I would say, just pick up your Bible and read it. And you're going to discover that that is not true, that there are modern day prophets God has anointed. He set some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. There still are prophets today. So, but there are people that are that extreme. And then there's people on the other end to where they take everything that's said, hook, line, and sinker. And you know, there's, we need to have understanding with some things concerning prophecy. We need to have a right prophecy philosophy. So we need to be able to, to view things in light of the scriptures. And one of the things I've noticed is that uh, all of the people that seem to me to be screaming, false prophet, false prophet, false prophet. It's interesting. They only ever talk about a false prophet when the Bible actually refers to false prophets, false teachers, and false apostles all in the New Testament. How come it's only false prophets? I think it's because they hear things that everybody else says, and then they just repeat it. And as soon as somebody says something that that didn't come to pass or didn't happen like they believed it should have, then they immediately say, well, that person was a false prophet. And I can emphatically, and I will show you from the scriptures today, that just because something didn't happen doesn't make that person a false prophet. And we need to have our heads screwed on straight concerning this. Now, with that being said, Jesus did say, and we're going to look at this in Matthew chapter 24, and he says in, uh, in verse 10, uh, actually in verse 11, it says, excuse me, in verse 11, yes, it says, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And so this is talking about the way that I view this Matthew 24 is I think it was true in their day. I think it's only more true today. And it's like there's certain words, this is how I see it in the scriptures, that they, they, they become more true, if you will, the further the days go on. And I think when you look at all of this in context, what Jesus was talking about, we're only going to see more of this. So you're going to see false prophets that will rise up. We have false prophets. There are false apostles. There are false teachers. I also think that there are false pastors. And I think that there's false evangelists. I think that there's all of those things you can have, you can have false. And what makes them false is not that they aren't that, but it's that they are that, but their motivation behind what they do is incorrect. And I'm going to show you some things from the scriptures that will really help, help paint this. Now, when you, you take the term false prophet, it actually, the concept was true in the old covenant, but the, the wording, that word false prophet, I can't find it anywhere in the Old Testament. But what we do find is that when people missed it, and I think it's in Deuteronomy chapter 18, I believe it, it says, the Lord said that if, if there was a, a prophet who prophesies presumptuously, he's going to die. And so to be a prophet... And to not hit it accurately, uh, in the old covenant, there was a price to pay. 
But let me tell you something. We don't live in the Old Covenant. Thank you for those 12 people that recognize that. We do not live in the Old Covenant. We live in a New Covenant. That does not mean that prophets should not be held accountable to their words, but it does mean that we shouldn't look to stone them. It does, it does mean that we shouldn't look to destroy them when they do miss it. But there's a lot of prophecies that, that happen. And, you know, the Bible says that we know in part and we prophesy in part. Amen? Even prophets only prophesy in part. They do not know everything. So just because they release something and you didn't see it come to pass, it doesn't mean that, that all of what they said was false or everything that they revealed was was, was wrong or they're false or they're a false prophet just because something didn't come to pass. You take Kim Clement, which it's interesting, and I guess some of this just got, got stirred in me. I got, well, I'll just be honest with you, I got called a, a false prophet this past week, but that's not the first time I've been called a false prophet. So, you know, it's no skin off my nose. If you, when, you, when you get called a, called a false prophet and a heretic and things like that, if you got your head screwed on straight, you'll be like, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. They hated Jesus, and they're going to hate you too just for telling the truth about things. A lot of times, it's not even what you say or don't say. It's just because they don't like you, and they don't like what you minister. They don't like that you're a person of faith. They don't like that you, you love better than they do, and you have life, more life in your, in your life and in your church or whatever, and so they want to come out against you. So we just love those people. Amen. It's, it's no problem. But I've, more than just me, I've noticed this trend, and I thought, I'm just going to, as far as our church is concerned, I'm just going to go ahead and just, uh, how do you say, nip this thing in the butt and just be sure that we're on the right path concerning this. And so if somebody misses it, they're basically, here there are two general schools of thought. You could probably have 10, but two general schools of thought for when a word is given and then that word uh, did not come to pass. There's a couple uh, schools of thought about it. One school of thought, which I just mentioned, and I'm going to teach you a little bit about what a false prophet is so you'll know how to recognize it. Um, but two schools of thought. One, as I just mentioned, is that when a word doesn't come to pass, then immediately is that's a false prophet. And I, I really believe that's dangerous language for us to get into. I think it's if somebody continually misses it, and they don't ever acknowledge that they missed it, then I think that that person is somebody you shouldn't follow. And maybe they could be a false prophet. But is it not true that the Bible says that we can all prophesy? All of us have the ability to, pro to prophesy. I can tell you now, I'm way more advanced in my ability to hear the Lord and speak into a situation now than I was a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. So if you have somebody that's stepping out and saying, I believe I heard the Lord say this, and their intentions are good, their heart is good, and they miss it, why in the world would anyone slam them and say that they're a false prophet? Can't we walk in love and say they're growing in their gift? They probably need some help in, in discerning some things and hearing some things and, and whether they should actually speak out some things that they have revelation on. Because see, there's a difference between having revelation you can know, you can see, and you can hear things in the spirit. That doesn't mean it's always supposed to come out of your mouth. See, we have the spirit of God living on the inside of us and he knows all things. It says that eye has not seen nor ear has heard nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God will reveal those things to us by his spirit. No man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him. And so we have received the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the Lord. And so we can know the things that are given to us by God. We can know all of the things of the spirit, even the deep things of God, because we have the mind of Christ. I roughly quoted about eight verses there. Ken's translation. Amen. You can go back and read it for the exact. 
But basically what that means is that we can't know things in the natural, but because we're connected with the Lord, we can know the things of God. We can see, hear, discern, and know the things of the Spirit. And how, do, how, do, how are we able to do that? It's because his spirit isn't somewhere out there. His spirit dwells on the inside of us. You know, just like you could take any person in this room and no one except for the Lord, but no other person really, truly knows the spirit of that person. You can get a glimpse of it. You can kind of see some things in their, in, their, in their eyes, in their life, and things going on, but nobody really knows you except for you. And the truth is, is that nobody really knows God except for the spirit of God. But because we have that spirit on the inside of us, he will reveal all things to us. But you know, there's a process from getting saved and knowing nothing about hearing from the Lord to where you become very tuned in and key at hearing the things of the spirit. And if we're all honest, we all, we all should be on the path and on the track of God. I want to hear you better and more clearly. I want to have revelation from the spirit better, but none of us have arrived yet. So is it reasonable to think that if somebody misses it, instead of calling them a false prophet, that we could say, well, yeah, maybe they just missed it a little bit. Because I think that that's really, really dangerous language to get into. And it's interesting, all of the people that I call, that, that call me or people like me a false prophet, when I listen to them talk, I think everything about you is false. You're, you, I don't believe in your doctrine, first of all. I don't see the love of Jesus coming out of you because they slam and they rip and they tear into other, into other people. There's a difference between a Pharisee and a common believer who doesn't know anything. You better be careful if you're going to say false prophet, false whatever, and you're going to talk. See, there's, you can distinguish between a word that somebody gives that's false versus the spirit of the person. And you better be darn sure that you're talking about a pharmaceutical kind of person before you call them false. And probably even if you see that they're false, it's not your job to fix them anyways. I mean, I, I have a lot of authority in this community and this church and stuff like that. And very rarely do I ever hear the Lord say, you need to say something about that. So I think it's reasonable to think that most people in the church are not called to stand up and say, that's a false blah, blah. These people just need to stop doing that. And I don't think that, I've never heard any of you guys say this, but I'm just saying we need to be aware of the times that we're in. Because it's interesting because Jesus said there will be false prophets that rise up. But sometimes when I hear the people saying false prophet, you know, you can recognize best what you can identify with most. And it's like if they're saying, oh, that person is, they've got, they're basically saying their motives are wrong and this and that and the other. They'll judge their heart and it's because they got a lot of evil going on in their heart. You know, Paul said, and, and really they're just after, they're, uh, they're after dissension and they're after division. Paul said uh, to Titus, and let me read this really quickly. And I'm going to get into teaching some things here. Y'all still with me? It's quiet in this charismatic Pentecostal word of faith, word of grace, red hot on fire for Jesus, believers, whatever you want to call it. There's some noise. I like it. He says here in, well, that's 2 Timothy. Which comes first, Titus or Timothy? Timothy, Timothy and then Titus. Thank you. I don't know everything. I've, I've even been known to lose at, uh, lose at Bible trivia games and stuff. But I just lost at Bible trivia last night, so... Woke up this morning licking my wounds. Okay, here we go. Titus chapter 3, verse 9. It says, But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. 
You know, I, I, I found myself, especially when I got a hold of the love of God and healing and the power of God and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when I got a hold of those things, man, I was just like, I was on a tear to get everybody to understand what I, what I understood. And I, I think my heart mostly was right, although there, was, there definitely was some fleshy things involved in it. I accomplished very little because I was so zealous to get people to think just like me. Knowledge will change the way you argue. Revelation will change the way you live. Knowledge puffs up. You get two people that are in a battle of their, their knowledge, it's ridiculous. But you find someone who has revelation from the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and there's a confidence there, and it should be displayed. But if people want to argue about it, just let them argue, and you stand in what God showed you. You just stand in what God showed you. So the, then the next verse, he says, reject this is strong language. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person, that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. When you find somebody who is antagonistic to argue and argue and always try and prove their point, A, they're probably not convinced themselves and they're looking for other people to agree with them to validate what they think is true, but they don't really know is true. That's a lot of where a lot of those people are at. And B, it doesn't do you or them any good to sit and argue with them about stuff. And, you know, I'm preaching to myself a little bit here, too, because when I hear people say stuff that are just absolutely ridiculous, it takes everything in me. The teacher in me says, no, let me straighten you out because I know. And there are some things that I don't know. There's some things that I don't have a revelation on. If two people want to sit and argue about whether the, the, the gap theory is true or whether the, the earth is a young earth, I'm not going to get in that argument because I've listened to both sides and I think, well, they're both true. Even though they both can't be true, they both make a lot of sense to me. There's certain things I don't know anything about. But when it comes to the, to the business of the spirit and the business of the kingdom and the business of the gospel, I know a lot about that stuff. But I've found it more beneficial for me and the other person to just step back, hold my knowledge and my revelation back, and just love them. Just love them. Let them say what they're going to say. Let them do what they're going to do. And just let them be the people that they are because they are miserable. And according to this, it says that they are self-condemned. People are looking to be validated. They're looking to be accepted. They're looking to have a, a place in this world, like Michael W. Smith said, a place in this world for anyone over 50, I guess. Anyways, um, they're looking for a place in this world. <laughs> I mean, I can't get beyond that. And, you know, they're, they're doing that. And the way that they're trying to do that is to get people to just agree with them. Of, I'm, I'm right. Don't get caught up in that kind of stuff. If they're right, if they're wrong or whatever, don't worry about any of that stuff. But I think it's really important that we stay away from this, this full-blown mentality of if something's wrong, they're a false prophet. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is this, that there are options when you hear something that didn't come to pass, that a word was given, it didn't come to pass. And the school of thought is basically this, and this is where I land, is that, okay, they could be a false prophet. That's not the thing I go to most. They could be a false prophet, but I, I, don't, I can't really judge their heart motives from one wrong word. Because again, a false prophet or false anything deals more with the motive behind what they're doing than what they did. It's very important we understand that. I'm going to show you some things. But then the next thing I'll go to is that it's possible that they flat out just missed it. And that's where I land with most, most people, whether it's a well-named 
prophet or it's just somebody in the church that nobody knows of but maybe us and they're just releasing a word, sharing something they feel like is from the Lord and they miss it. I would rather err on that side than to point something out and say they are false. And the people who would listen to me, and there might be some of them watching right now. I don't know. I'll go back and look at the comments later because I'm sure they'll light it up if they are watching. That's the thing with having live stream. But they would listen to me say, say this stuff right here, and they would go, you're false. You're deceiving many people. I'm not deceiving anybody. You don't want to believe what I, what I say? Go back and look at the word, and you find it for yourself. I'm just telling you what I believe to be true, amen. And I believe that love always wins. It always wins, amen. So um, let me show you some things here concerning what a false prophet is. And I'm going to give you just these real quick, because after I, after I show you this, I want to go back and give you some some more understanding about how to discern a word that does come and what you do with the word that you really believe is from the Lord, how you discern that. But let's look here at a mo for a moment at what a false prophet is. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, and we're going to pull these up here. Jeremiah 23 <clears throat> in verse 16, and I'm going to give you, <clears throat> excuse me, three points about what a false prophet, what typifies or uh, reveals what a false prophet is, the nature, the character, um, those kind of things of what a false prophet is. So Jeremiah chapter 23, and there's many more verses than this, but I'm just going to give you a few things here. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. So point number one about a false prophet is they, <clears throat> excuse me, they will speak from their own heart. And this is really important. Now, you could have an immature believer that would, could also speak from their own heart and thinking that it's from the Lord, and that doesn't make them a false prophet. prophet that just makes them immature. Amen? And so, but this is one thing that can, can signify or typify what a false prophet is, and that is that they speak from their own heart. Look at the next verse, and I'm going to give you point number two. I'm going to hit these quickly. So number one is they speak from their own heart, from their own vision. And then verse 17, it says, they continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. Now, in context, you have to understand this to understand what this is saying. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. And the reason he wept is because what the Lord told him to say to the children of Israel was basically never good, but the Lord told him to say it anyways, and he had a responsibility to obey the voice of the Lord, and he's saying that these other ones come, and they're false, they're wrong, they're inaccurate. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. I needed that. <clears throat> Thank you, ma'am. <clears throat> That's awesome. Thank you. And so um, what was happening is if you pull that verse back up there again, but what was happening is that they had people that were coming and because Jeremiah was, so you can imagine standing up being Jeremiah and weeping and saying, I, I don't know how, I don't know all the things that he said, but basically like calamity is coming. The Lord's going to destroy you. Turn from your wicked ways. You, you know, rotten people basically, because they had gotten off into so much nastiness. And so he was responsible to tell them, if you don't turn, vengeance is coming. Wrath is coming. Bad things are going to happen. The Lord's going to bring this upon you. And again, that was old covenant. We're in a different covenant today. Amen. But but that's what he was telling them. But these other people would come in and they would begin to say, and he's saying, um, 
You shall have peace. These other people would say, you shall have peace. And everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, no evil shall come upon you. They were going directly opposite of what Jeremiah, the true prophet, was actually saying. And he's saying these people are are what you call false prophets. And the reason that they are considered false is because they prophesied to please men. Really, really important. If you're prophesying and releasing the word of the Lord just to be a man pleaser, whatever that looks like, that would be an indication that you are, you, that person, I'm not going to say you, but that person could be a, a false prophet. If everything they're about is just to get man's acceptance and pleasure over their life, that is a bad place to be at because it goes back to the motive as to why they are prophesying, why they are ministering. All ministry, including including prophets, I might even say especially prophets, are there to serve people, not to serve their own agenda, not to serve their own needs. And there's, there's a lot of people that they would hear somebody that believes in prosperity, but is also a, a, a prophet and would say, look at them, they're doing it for filthy lucre. They're doing it to, to meet their own needs and they're prophesying just to get rich because this was true of, and I'll mention him in a minute, of, of Balaam, the guy whose donkey talked to him. Remember that story? Well, Balaam, was, he was not an Israelite, but he was gonna go and he was gonna basically sell the children of Israel out as a true prophet and speak, a, and speak cursing over them and so that's a long story I'm not going to get into. And so you can have people that will do things for profit that are not right. But just because somebody believes in the prosperity of the Lord and they also deliver a word from the Lord doesn't make them a false prophet. And it doesn't mean that they're doing it because they're trying to get rich. There are some, though, that do that. They prophesy and they do things. I remember one time uh, years ago, I flew, I flew when I was in Bible college, I flew home and uh, I was uh, going to go to uh, a graduation, my cousin's graduation. And so my dad picked me up from the airport, and it was like midnight. It was really late. And then we had a drive. And so we drove partway. It was like a five-hour drive. And we drove partway. And we're like, man, we got to stop. We're dead tired. And we go into this, this uh, hotel, and we were just un- unwinding. And my dad and I are both wired the same like that. We'll, we can turn on the TV, and we'll pass out. And so we turned on the TV, and there's this prophet on there. <laughs> in the middle of the night, and he was saying, send in your $200, and you'll get your own personal prophecy. And it's like, okay, you've crossed the line there, buddy. That's something that, versus a prophet that would minister, say like Joseph Z, that would minister and prophesy, but then also receive offerings and stuff. There's a difference there. If you're willing to give away something for free, and you don't have to pay, the people don't have to pay you for it, uh, that's where you need to be, but it's also okay to receive people's money. There's nothing wrong with that. Can I get a big amen? So this, the, the number two thing there is that they prophesied to please men. And the number three thing, and I believe this is probably the main thing that will determine what a false prophet is, and that is that they have bad fruit. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, and we'll pull this up here so everybody can read it. And I think we're going to go all the way through verse 20, if I remember right. But Matthew chapter 7, are you getting something out of this? Sometimes line up on a line is really, really good. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, here it is. It says, beware of false prophets. And so this is Jesus speaking here, and he says, beware of false prophets. So it would be unwise of us to not be aware that there are people that are false, their motives are false, and they're out to prophesy, 
They're out to try to deceive people and bring people in for their own gain, for whatever motive they've got going on. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now look at the next verse. And by the way, I have heard that verse quoted more times than I could possibly ever count in my life. And I would say only a few times. And I used, I used to use it uh, pretty liberally myself and I, I restrain myself now. But uh, I, I remember hearing that a lot about their, wolf, their wolves in sheep's clothing. Well, maybe they just got issues. Maybe they got problems. Maybe they're, you know, whatever. There are some wolves in sheep's clothing. I've met some pastors that I think you are not a shepherd. You are a wolf in sheep's clothing. And I've met some sheep that I think you are not a sheep. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing. But most people are just screwed up. <laughs> I mean, just to be honest with you, most people don't have extreme wrong motives where they're coming in saying, I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat the sheep. You know, most people don't do that. There are some, and that's why we have watchmen on the wall. We need watchmen on the wall. We have watchmen on the wall in this church, and it's helped us for many, many years be able to discern things that were coming in trying to stop the work of the Lord. But look at what verse 16 says. It says, you will know them by their fruits extremely important. Now, I want to go on and read the rest of this passage, and we're going to come back and talk about that. It says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. What's he talking about here? He's talking about prophets. He's talking about false prophets. He says, by their fruits, you shall know them. Well, when you're talking about fruit, what, what is it talking about? Is it just talking about whether they can prophesy accurately or not? No, actually false prophets can prophesy accurately. You may not know that, but there are false prophets that that's mostly what I believe uh, people that are into like tarot card reading and psychics and things like that, they actually have a gift of prophecy, but they're, they're, they're tapping into to darkness to cause that gift to operate. And they can actually prophesy in divination and in witchcraft true things about people, reveal true things about people. And it's not tapping into the spirit of God. It's not coming from the spirit of God. It's actually coming from, from a demonic spirit, from the enemy, from witchcraft or whatever. And so, you know, false uh, prophets can actually prophesy accurately. So it can't just be talking about uh, whether their words are true or not. It has to go deeper than that. It has to be more than that. So when you're looking at fruit, here are a few things that I believe are uh, an indicator of what this is talking about when it says fruit. Number one is just moral character. Now, people can grow. I know I am I am a, uh, I live more accurately, I live more holy, and all that stuff now than I did when I first got saved. And it, hopefully it's the same for you, amen? We increase, we increase in all of the benefits and the fruits that God's placed in us, whether it be joy or peace or righteousness or anything that's in us, we, incre we increase in those things. So just because somebody is struggling doesn't make them false. Just because they haven't come to another level in their life of living, does, again, doesn't make them false. But if you see somebody operating and they're, they're pulling people towards them, pulling people towards their words, but their life does not match up, you should not follow a person like that. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're false because they could be just out of place and out of God's timing, and they really need to grow. But no matter what, if you've got a person that is leading and they have bad moral character, 
you should never follow a person like that. And I'll let you decide what moral character is, but there's obvious things. If they're living in adultery, if they're a drunkard, if they're different things like that, you should never follow a person like that. And it doesn't mean that there couldn't be redemption, there couldn't be forgiveness. All that stuff is possible. But someone who's living in wrong moral character is, is, could be an indication of somebody who is false. Another one that I mentioned, which I already mentioned, is heart motives. All right, so heart motives. And the only way that you can know someone's heart is what comes out of their mouth. It says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you are with somebody in private, which if you're talking about a big name minister or something, you're not going to get that opportunity with them. But if you're talking about somebody like me, you, you all can rest assured that I'm not false because you've, so many of you have been with me you know, in a private setting in my home or going out to dinner or something like that. And it's pretty obvious that I'm not out to just you know, deceive people or whatever because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You'd be hard-pressed to be around Liz and I for very long without talking about the Lord. The love of God will speak into your life, will love on you, will encourage you. That's a good indication of somebody who doesn't have wrong motives is because what comes out of their mouth speaks more about the kingdom of God than it does their own self. Another thing is, and this is the last thing, and I believe this is the single biggest thing right here as what depicts whether somebody is a false prophet, and I'll add any other false anything, but a false prophet versus somebody who is true is does their teaching point to Jesus? Because it's interesting, you can make a Facebook post and somebody disagrees with you and they go, you're a false prophet. And I want to say, wait a second, have you listened to the 17,000 hours of teaching that I've done at the church for the last 10 years? Because I can tell you now it all points to Jesus. It all points to the cross. It all points to the finished work of the cross. It all points to the Holy Spirit. It all points to the word of God. I have said over and over and over and over and over and over and over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Don't take my word for it. Always go back to the word of God. And that is a true indication of somebody who's not false, but is true because they will always point you back to the word of God. Amen. Amen. That's a good way to judge those things. I haven't gotten very far, but I need to mention a couple other things to you quickly so I can wrap this up that I believe will really be able um, to help you. And to give you, let me give you just quickly just a couple more things about how somebody who's true could give a word and it not come to pass. All right, so in Jonah chapter 3, let's look at Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. And in verse 4, Jonah 3 and verse 4. And Jonah, of course, was a true, a true prophet of God. And he was told to go and to preach to the people in Nineveh and because they were to repent. And so if we've got Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4, we can pull up here. And it says in Jonah, now listen, this is really interesting. So, of course, as the story goes, the Lord said, go to Nineveh. He said, I'm not going to Nineveh. He ran from the presence of the Lord, ended up on a ship. The waves were coming. And they're like, whose God is doing this? And Jonah's like, yeah, that's me. You can throw me overboard. They threw him overboard. He got swallowed by a fish. He was in there for three days. Jonah said, fine, Lord, I'll go and do what you want to do. He went. And actually, Jonah's motivation, this is interesting. Jonah didn't like the Ninevites because they weren't his people, and he did not want to see God's wrath pulled back from them. And that's the reason why he didn't want to go. It wasn't because, it wasn't like Jeremiah where he's like, I'm afraid of their faces, Lord. Jonah, from what we can tell, wasn't afraid. He just didn't like the people in Nineveh, and he didn't want to see God's grace given to him. Amazing. And so it says, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This is amazing. Look at the next verse. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. 
In other words, they, re- they repented. They turned. Do you realize, if you go back to the, the verse before, look at what it says. It says, <clears throat> Jonah said, he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He just said it. He just said a word. He said it would happen in 40 days. Nineveh will be overthrown. The next verse says they repented. Now go to verse 10. Look here at verse 10. It says, then God saw their works, that they turned from their, <clears throat> their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Here's an example of someone who said it will happen, and then it didn't come to pass. Why? Because some prophecy is conditional. I'm going to show you more about that here in just just a moment. But some prophecy is conditional. In fact, I would say most prophecy is conditional. And this one one here is, is included. And so, you remember I mentioned uh, Balaam. So here's a story of a true prophet saying something that didn't come to pass because it was conditional on the people responding to it. But he didn't say, he didn't say in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be restored unless you repent. It just says that he said it and then they repented and it didn't happen. That's amazing when you think about that. He said this will happen and it didn't because there was condition on it. If you look in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15, and I'm going to try to say this very briefly. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15. And this briefly mentions the way of Balaam here. And again, Balaam was the, I don't remember where he was from. Maybe he was a Midianite. I don't remember, but he was not, he was not from Israel. And so 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 15. And Balaam was uh, going to sell the children of Israel out essentially because he was a true prophet of God, even though he wasn't from the nation of Israel. He was a true prophet and he was going the, I forget who it was. Maybe it was the, the one of the other kings from one of the other countries who was an enemy to Israel, hired him, offered him money to come and speak curse over Israel because he knew that if he spoke curse over Israel, then they would be able to defeat Israel. And here's what's amazing is it would have happened because there's so much power and there's so much authority given to human beings that we can speak things and actually see things come to pass. That's another message for another time, but very true. It says, they have forsaken, this is the midst of a lot of things. It says, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of uh, Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Here you have what was considered to be a true prophet doing something that was totally wrong. But yet he was still considered a true prophet because after the Lord uh, knocked him off his donkey and his donkey started talking to him and freaked him out. And he really wasn't because see, the thing is, is that the angel appeared it freaked the donkey out and Balaam never saw the angel. Any true prophet that had any human being, but especially a prophet had an angel appear before him. He should have saw the angel before the donkey did. And then the donkey started to turn around and started talking to him. And eventually Balaam repented. And then he did end up going to that king, but he said, I'll only prophesy. He agreed to go, but he said, I'll only prophesy and release what the Lord tells me to release. I'm not going to release anything else. And he went and he spoke blessing over Israel through the whole thing instead of curse, even though that other king hired him to speak curses over, over Israel. But indeed, he ended up just speaking blessing over Israel. It's amazing. So we had this wrong heart motive was, that was there. God turned it, and then he went and spoke blessing over them, and he got paid to do it anyways. I mean, it was just a, really a pretty wild story. 
And so here you have somebody that was a true prophet but had wrong things happening in them. The point is, is it's hard often to discern what's really true, who's really true, and who's not. I think it's best to leave it up to the Lord and then watch what people do. And if they are consistently wrong and their fruit is bad, just don't follow them. But don't be so quick because somebody missed it or you think that they missed it to throw them under the bus. Kim Clement was one of the greatest prophets that has ever lived, in my opinion, since Jesus and John the Baptist. Tremendous prophet of God. And we've had all these prophets. He had prophecies about President Trump coming into office before President Trump knew he was going to come into office. He saw the hand of God there. He saw God's will. He saw God's purposes. He saw two terms. And see, people say, oh, well, if it was, if it was really, truly God, it would have come to pass. Not true. Not true. One of the things that has been prophesied from him and many other people is that, again, and I mentioned this earlier, is that he would, he would win by a landslide. He did win. He did win. And you might be going, oh, I just still don't believe that. Believe whatever you want. I don't give a rip. Believe the, all the liberal media if you want. That's your business. He won, okay? Stop arguing with me. I can hear you. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways. So, but there were things that got in the way of that actually transpiring. And people are confused. And I want to show you this. People are confused about when a word from the Lord comes. And I know, I know some people would say, you need to call him false. He's really false because he missed it. Listen, even if he had missed it, it still wouldn't make him false because he's had all these other prophecies that were so accurate. And he's one of, of many others. And here's another thing is that, well, first of all, I'll say it again. I, I'm not calling it over. When April comes, if something hasn't happened by then, I'll say, guys, it's over. <laughs> We're stuck with the one that's in there. But until then, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep saying, Jesus, there might, just might still be a way. Because I've seen some things, but anyways, I don't really know if it'll happen or not. But I'm just, I, crossing my fingers is not holy. But anyways, I'm just going to stand there. But when people, when people hear things, and it is a word from the Lord, what I have found is that most people don't know how to properly discern a word that comes, okay? So here's what I want, here's what I want to do here for just a moment. I'm going to use the whiteboard. I think this will help, I think this will help illustrate this or at least write it out. Uh, so we'll just call it a word from God, and we know it to be true, Okay? The best that we can tell, it is a true word from the Lord. The very first thing that needs to happen is we need to have discernment. And here's what we need to discern from the very get-go. Whether that word is a... I'm going to write it just like I put it in my notes because it will be the best. If it's unconditional... Or if it's conditional. What I mean by that is an unconditional word is going to happen regardless of what people do. A conditional word is conditional on what people do. I mean, it's really simple, but it's very, very important that we make that distinction. And I'm going I'm to show you some things in the scripture, and I'm, I'm almost out of time, and so it'll... It'll be fast, so follow me fast. Although I can't write fast, so you'll, you'll be okay. But an unconditional word, here's the reason for it, is, and what it is, it's a revelation to confirm 
what happens? I'm going to draw a line kind of down the center here. Versus a conditional word, I want to say it just like I wrote it, is a revelation to contend so something, or I'll say God's will, will happen. Extremely important you make that distinction, that we make that distinction. Because there are revelations that come and words that are, are released that sometimes the Lord is saying, this is going to happen and there's not anything that you're going to do that's going to make any determining factor on the word that I have released. It will happen. And when it happens, this word was given to confirm to you that it is me doing this thing that you have no impact on whether it happens or not. The other one is the Lord saying, I'm releasing a word to you, but it's conditional. And the reason I'm giving it to you is so it's a revelation for you to contend for the thing that I want to come to pass. And this is where there's a huge dividing line here between people in the body of Christ. And so I have to, my golly, I'm so out of time. People, ah, Lord, should I say it like that? Let me just tell you something. I'm going to say this. This is so strong. Mm. There are people, and I'm not going to go beyond that, but there are people, and it has happened with several here, that they have been drawn away by other people because they are unlearned in the ways of the Spirit and the things of God and the will of God and in faith. And they've actually taught that guy over there is false. He's a cult leader. And I don't care. I'm not saying that because, like, I'm trying to defend myself. Jesus is my defender. It's no problem. But it hurts my heart to see people pulled away because they're unlearned in the things of God. They're unlearned in the Word. They're unlearned in Revelation. And they get pulled away by people that have ill intent in their heart toward me, and they only are trying to heap up for themselves. So wrong, so messed up. And one of the main dividing factors is that I do not believe that God's will automatically comes to pass in our life. If it did, why would we pray? Why would we preach? Why would we come to church? Why would we encourage one another? Why would we even prophesy? Why would we do anything? But the reality is, and you can find this over and over and over and over and over, and I'm through Genesis now. Let's move to Exodus. Over and a thousand million times, not a million, but lots of times in the word where things happened because people cooperated with the Lord. So we have much of this teaching that says, oh, God is just sovereign. And ultimately what he says and what he wants is going to happen. There ain't nothing you can do about it. It's false. That actually is a false doctrine. And I could, I could dismantle, and I don't want to dismantle the people, but I could dismantle that from the word all day long. Just take Jesus. He said, be it unto you according to your faith because you believed. Oh, God sovereignly knew that they were going to be in faith and that was his sovereign will. Oh my gosh. He says that I wish that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. 
oh, well, God sovereignly knew who would and who wouldn't, and that's why, you know, he's ultimately decided. No, there's people that are going, dying and going to hell because they haven't heard Jesus, because they haven't been preached to and taught and had it revealed to them, and they're dying and going to hell, and it wasn't because God willed it. It was because people didn't hear, and that's what happened in their life. We have a position in this earth, and it is a position of faith. It's a position of declaring God's will and standing and moving forward and pioneering and pressing in. And if you have a mentality that it's just all up to God, you won't push forward in anything. You'll be a weak, wet noodle that the devil can beat around at every, every obstacle that would come your way. Because in the back of your mind, you're going to go, well, this just might be God's will. No, it says, submit yourself, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil. And he will, he will flee from you. Sickness isn't from God. It's from the devil. If sickness comes your way, you should resist it and it will flee because it's not of God. It's of the enemy. Come on now. Somebody help me out. That is the right position for us to take. I've come to find out that, that more people are more fathers, I'm sorry, children of Job than they are children of Abraham. Oh, Jesus. There's a lot. And what I just said right there. They relate to the life of Job more than they do Jesus or Abraham. Abraham was the first man of faith. He was the first man that God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you this. This is yours. I'm giving you a son. You're beyond childbearing years. Your wife is beyond childbearing years. It is impossible, but with me, all things are possible. I just need you to believe. And in fact, what I'm going to do, instead of your name being Abram, which means like a, a prince or something like that. I'm changing it to Abraham, which means the father of many nations. So Abraham began to call those things that were not as though they were out of his mouth. Every time he went somewhere, who are you? I am Abraham. And it wasn't just like, yeah, I'm John or I'm George or I'm Kent. We don't relate to it, but back then, a name was everything. And when he said, I'm Abraham, he was saying, I am the father of many nations. Oh, awesome. Where's your nation? Actually, I don't have a kid yet. But God said, I will. And so I'm going to contend for that. And then finally, went, he went through all of his unbelief period and the Ishmael and Hagar thing happened. And then he got back on track and began to believe God. Then eventually, Sarah bore a child. Isaac came and the promise was there. Why? Because it was just God's sovereign will? No, because Abraham played a part to cooperate with God. Extremely important. This just like my red hot fiery uh, Blood on the inside, this just, it just boils 4,000 ways wrong because I, I can't stand hearing this stuff. I can't stand when people say stuff like that because it totally takes us out of the picture. We just go, oh, just, it's just totally up to the Lord. Why would we have, why would God tell us to read his word? Why would he tell us to learn things? Why would he tell us to grow? Why would, again, why would he tell us to pray and to stand in faith? Why is Abraham our father in the faith? <laughs> it's because he's the example. And Jesus, we are, we are Christians, which means we are little Christs. Oh, man, I could just, I hear them now. Because I've heard how they've ripped on other people that have spoken highly into my life. You're saying you're a God in this earth. Actually, yes, I am. I'm not the God in the earth, but he made me just like him to reign and rule and have authority and speak to things and release things and change atmospheres and flip over regions for the, whole, for the gospel of Jesus. All that stuff. That all belongs to us. But if you sit back like a, like a little wimpy person and say, it's just up to God, it's just up to him, you won't ever do anything. So I'm sorry if I got in your kitchen more than I planned to this morning, but this stuff gets me red hot. We have to change the way we see things. 
This is looking into our prophecy philosophy and all kinds of other philosophy that we've been living by. It's, oh man, it's just so, it's so, the enemy has come in and infiltrated the church with so much wrong teaching. You don't have to take my word for it. You can go and look in the scriptures. Why do you think all the stories of Jesus and the miracles and things were there? And then he said, hey, the works that I do, you're going to do, and you're going to do even greater works than what I do. Why do you think he said that? So we would believe it. Why? Because faith is essential for seeing things come to pass. Faith is essential for seeing the will of God performed in our life. Oh, Jesus. Look at here at 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm, I know I'm out of time, but... I'm just getting fired up, to be honest with you. I'm just getting rolling. Let me, let me say this uh, quickly, just to give one example. There's many, but of an unconditional uh, prophecy, unconditional word of God, which is to, bring, uh, to give a revelation to confirm what happens. An example of this would be the book of Revelation. Uh, most of it, or some of it. I don't know about all of it. There's some things that are conditional in there. But when John went on the island of Patmos, and he was a prisoner there, a political prisoner, which reminds me of some of the days that I think could happen. And, and there's already two pastors in, in uh, California that are being arrested, but that's another story of another time. Political prisoners are a real thing. But that's what John was, and he was on the island of Patmos. And on the Lord's Day, he was taken up in the Spirit, and all of this stuff began to be unfolded to him. And what was he seeing? He was getting revelation of things that were going to happen and I can tell you now, no matter how much faith you have or don't have or appropriate or any unbelief, Jesus is going to come riding on his white horse <laughs> in the battle of Armageddon, and he's going to destroy all the enemies of the Lord. That's an example of an unconditional prophecy, word of God, that it's no bearing on you. You just sit back and watch, and it's going to happen. To me, this probably makes up 5 to 10% of things. And this probably makes up 90 to 95% of things. That's, my, that's Kent's opinion. That's Kent's, Kentology, if you will. But when it comes to words and things that are given nowadays, most things fall into this category. They are conditional, and they're there for us to contend so that it will come to pass. And again, if you believe that, oh, it's just ultimately up to God, it's just God's sovereign, if you believe that, then you're never going to contend for anything. The only reason I could give you story after story after testimony after story after testimony of how Liz and I have stood and said, we are going to move forward and we are going to contend for what God said. And because of it, we saw God's will come to pass. We saw the word that he placed in our heart, just like Abraham come to pass. And if we had just stepped back and said, Lord, whatever you want to have happen, it wouldn't have happened. I guarantee you it wouldn't have happened. I can guarantee you it would not have happened. And so let me show you this very quickly here. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 18, I love this. Can you all give me two more minutes? Thank you. I'm taking it either way. It says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you waged the good warfare. Why were the prophecies given? It says right there. They were given for him to wage the good warfare. What was the warfare? The warfare was anything that was coming against what God had told Timothy to do. And the prophecies came to give ammunition for his mind and for his heart against the enemy from stopping him from doing the things that God said needed to come to pass in his life. I heard Bill Johnson say it like this. He said, prophecy is the Lord going into the future and coming back to give you the word that you need to get you to the place that he's called you. 
I thought, I like that. But if you don't take that prophecy and say, Lord, you said. We've had so many times in ten, almost 10 years we've been here. We've had so many times where we felt like quitting. We've, so many people quit on us. So many people have been mad and upset. and Just all of the stuff you can go through in a church. We, I think we've been through all of it. I think we've been, I don't know. I think we've been through all of it. We've been through a lot. And yet the Lord would say, I haven't called you here to fail. And with many tears and many long nights and many early mornings and many meetings and many all kinds of stuff, we would just come back and say, God hadn't called us here to fail. He told us that. When we moved here, he said, I have not called you there to fail. And we've stood on that and we've stood on that and we've stood on that and we've watched God increase us. We've watched the glory manifest on greater levels. We've seen incredible things and it's because we understand that there are prophecies that he's given us that are true words, but it's conditional on us operating and cooperating with him and what. <clears throat> what it is that he says. There's so many other examples. Let me give you one more thing in Matthew chapter 17. I'm going to quit with this. Matthew chapter 17. I have so much that comes in my heart that I want to, I want to minister and, and teach. And doggone it, Sunday mornings, you just don't have enough time. And I know your backsides can only take so long. Give me one more minute to show you this. This is so good. Just one example of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 14. It says, when they had come to the multitude... A man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often to the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Notice Jesus didn't go, guys, you did your darndest. Bless your pea pudding hearts. You tried and it just didn't happen. It's okay. You're great men of faith. He said, you faithless, you perverse generation. Jesus was expecting some results. And then in verse 18, it says, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately. They didn't want a lesson publicly. They wanted a lesson in private. All right, Jesus, you already rebuked us once. So now privately tell me, tell us what's going on. And they said, why could we not cast it out? So it just, it says that Jesus said to them, guys, it's because it was not the will of the Father. And because nothing can happen except for what God's sovereign will is in any given situation. And your faith will have absolutely zero impact or outcome on anything that happens in this life. And there ain't anything that can take place unless God wants it to happen. And it's just totally up to God. All we can do is pray. We're like poor little beggars and we can just throw our prayers out. And eventually, hopefully, God will receive one of those things up to heaven and will do whatever it is that we need. And he'll stretch out his hand and he'll do something. But guys, you prayed and it just wasn't the time for that to happen. No, he says, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith... As a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. He put the responsibility back on them. I could show you, now that he was pretty blunt, I don't have too many blunt ones like that, but I can show you so many times where a word was given, the will of the Father was revealed, they cooperated with it, and then they saw it come to pass. Crazy important, very important. Hallelujah. With all this being said, no matter what's going on in our world or anything else, even if we've missed it, we've blown it or whatever, we still need to just come back to this basic level of God. I don't do anything perfectly, but I know that you're good and I'm gonna to continue to trust you. I know that I'm still growing in faith, but I'm gonna to continue to trust you. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.